you're about to hear was from the Houston Noma Happy Hour I did a couple of weeks ago. So a couple of things before I start. This podcast is heavily edited. So you're only going to hear from a handful of people, mostly uh, former podcast guests, as well as Mona, Antoine, and Damien. Oh, and Mr. Leon. In the beginning of the happy hour, Nicholas Hill made a specialty drink for us called the East New York. There was a lot of questions that came out of this happy hour conversation. More questions than answers, which I think is good. There was some sound issues. UGG was talking and there was a little bit of high-pitched sound. I don't know if that was feedback or what, but I try to minimize it as much as I can. At the end of each podcast, I do a little spiel asking you to support this podcast. But this time around, I'm going to ask that you support NOMA. You can donate. You can become a member of the NOMA chapter. Basically, they allows us to have conversations like this. It's a family reunion for the most part. And even if you're not familiar with our family, we will treat you like family. There's also the virtual conference that's coming up. So just go on the NOMA national website. And just to let you know, they are not sponsoring this at all. This is 100% on me. The conversation you're about to hear You should understand why you should become a member. The support that we give each other and the realness of our conversations. I want to thank everyone who participated in the NOMA happy hour that day. And I also want to thank the current listeners. Thank you so much for, again, supporting me and my efforts. I decided to make this not a mental floss episode. It's... And I think I'm going to conclude on that unless something else happened. I don't know what else could happen. 2020 has just been a crazy year. It's just been crazy. Ever since Kobe died, it's just been downhill from there. So this is the first podcast in a long time that's just a regular conversation. I'm ready to step back in and to have my regularly scheduled programming, knock on wood, So I hope you enjoy what you're about to listen to. And thanks again. We planned this really because of Mona and it was uh, her baby and talked about doing this over two months ago and reached out to Melissa about it. And I think the times that we're in right now make a architecture as politics conversation even more appropriate. Uh, So with that, I want to give it to Mona and to Melissa. Cheers, ladies. First of all, I just wanted to thank everyone for joining us um, tonight. And then, um, especially with the circumstances that are going. And special thank you to, I guess, everyone who's joining us from Houston, just because I know there's a protest that is going right now with George Floyd's family. So I really appreciate you guys taking the time to join us um, tonight. And I would like to thank Melissa for joining us. and accepting this invitation, I guess. And <laughs> I wanted to introduce you, but I prefer a person, like I, I usually prefer introducing myself, so I don't know, maybe we eat here if you want to introduce yourself. But Melissa, I, I, Daniel, I found her through a podcast. I was, it was during, when we first started working from home, I'm a podcast junkie, I would say. 
So I was, I was listening to We Need More. And then one day I was just, I don't know how, you know, and like one, one podcast would kind of suggest you um, listen to the other one. So I was, I was actually thinking about, oh, I need like something where basically highlights minority architects. And then somehow I found it on Instagram. I think it was through the HNOMA Instagram account. And then I started listening to the podcast and I just loved the way you narrated and you, tell, uh, you told the story. It was very easy to listen to, especially during the day and during, while you're working. So that's, that's, that's it for me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I'll, I'll introduce myself. Hi. Please. My name is Melissa Daniel. It's funny looking at the list of people who have decided to join this call today because I feel like I grew up with half you people. Like I've known you guys for a number of years, all through NOMA, through AIA, this hack of happenstance, like just random events. And um, I am truly grateful and honored that you guys are here today. Who am I? Born and raised in D.C., I grew up in the projects, North Capitol Street. They're probably protesting down there right now. Um, I got in architecture because I felt that no one should live in the conditions that I lived in before. And as I pursued this architecture career, I realized you can't just go to architecture school and helping people. It's way more complicated than that. I guess that's the weird story about myself so. <laughs> well melissa no that that's the that's the story i see we got some more that we got leon bridges in the building which we 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 really going global out here right now so yeah, good to see you leon let's tell us more about what what architecture po- is political tell us what it is why it's important and what, what we can do so let's hear more about that okay so the podcast it was me and a couple of my former co-workers just get together and just talk about politics and we happen to be architects so we all went our separate ways and I actually sat on the domain name over a year. I, I already have it. I might as well do something with it. And then I realized there were no black women podcasters out there. I'm a huge podcast listener. I love listening to various other architecture podcasts, but there were none that represented my topics or with me. So the premise of architecture is political a conversation between black and brown folks about architecture and the built environment. We are dealing with the community. We are dealing with the environment. And as black and brown folks, we are automatically political. Any space that we inhabit, straight up, we are political. Right now, we are inhabiting spaces on the street and it's political. And so that's that's pretty much the premise of architecture is political. Okay. I think this is, as, as, as we said earlier, this is a timely time for us really to have this conversation. As, as Mona alluded to, you know, we've got literally friends and colleagues that are in a protest right now, uh, downtown, probably five minutes from where I'm sitting. Many of us live in cities that have gone through various levels of unrest over the past four or five days. In uh, the light of that, the NOMA National Board has released a statement, as we should, that incorporated and acknowledged these things, but also pushed the envelope on our mission. Now, ironically enough, we've been working on this mission statement for the better part of about two months, and it just so happened that it, it you know, stars are aligned to give us an opportunity to really focus on design justice. 
and really begin to push that envelope. What I'd like for us to at least spend a little bit of time on, I'm glad that some people that have, you know, Sandra, some people have been part of these conversations, but I think it'd be helpful, uh, Melissa and some others to kind of begin to begin to place architecture, design, justice, those kinds of ideas in the context of where we are today. This was meant to be a, a collaborative space. And so, you know, if we could begin there, I think that'd be great. Melissa, if you want to go. Yeah. Ahead. So a couple of people I've invited to join and they are all former podcast victims. I mean, guests. Shout out. Like my first victim was Gigi. Like she, I, I, I met her on Twitter. This is the first time I've ever seen her face to face as well as Sandra and I don't know if, if Karen is here also, but I, I stalked I'm on. Hi, Melissa. Hi. Hey. I, I stalked these women way before the podcast and I just, we just hit it off and I asked them, hey, let's talk. And um, it was unscripted. I had a whole bunch of questions and I asked them to, as well as, you know, Nick and Richard, I, um, if I'm missing you to say something, <laughs> I know that Gigi and I have been like tag teaming on Twitter about um, speaking up with organizations that didn't say anything. The silence that they were taking just this couple of days, like no statement, no anything. I, I Gigi, do you want to talk? Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think. So we're, we'll maybe not to endorse any type of corporate platform, but I think shout out to Twitter for having the the platform that kind of design can live in in terms of conversation. It's as quick hits. It's it's you know super succinct, which I think kind of very speaks very much about who we are as designers and how we communicate verbally, but. It has been a really incredible platform to call um, people out or to bring light to um, things that people didn't know about. I know between Melissa and I, we reached out to AIA and I think ArcMag Arc on the passing of some of our, you know, some of our legends who have helped pave the way. And the, the, that kind of epitomizes that the quote, like if a tree falls in a forest, do you hear it? And it's like, we hear it, but somehow other people can't hear it. And there's, I think there's a point in terms of kind of our youthful energy to kind of make uh, people accountable for helping us tell our stories and helping disseminate what those stories are across platforms that we don't really have access to or are employed by rather. And then, yeah, recently with the statements being made, I have my own kind of reservations on how impactful I think many of them have been or will be, to be honest. But I do think that pushing the needle and, and poking people, even in this, this kind of small way, has actually proven to have some significant impact. People will reach out to me, I know at least personally, and I'm sure to a lot of other people, um, just asking what is what's, what more information can I talk to you if it's now turned into an interview or whatever. And I think that that is a really big deal. And we it opens a door to meet really great people and have build a relationship around your values, even if it's not kind of some of the maybe superficial qualities of a friendship, but really in some ways kick open a door or a window to a discussion around with people who that's not even in their purview um, as something to talk about. 
I, I made a statement on Twitter saying that I felt that the urban planning and transportation community has been really vocal about this. Like, I'm about to switch careers because they were on fire. I was impressed by your genre that they are more out there than we are. I take all that with a grain of salt. Uh, (laughs) I think I actually spoke to somebody not too long ago, and I did say that language is really important and that I I sincerely believe that it's a cop-out from a design profession to, you know, as a whole to say, well, we're not really good writers. We're not good speakers. We let our designs speak for themselves. And in a moment where our designs are kind of the backdrop, of unrest and in disparity and discrimination, you kind of have to conjure the words to say something meaningful and important, even if it is succinct. And language is something that resonates a lot more deeper than design in terms of how we communicate it, rather. Um, So- Leon Bridges calling from Baltimore. And I, I think, especially with what has been happening for the (laughs) Well, many years now, but the most recent uh, two or three months, uh, most of us as architects know how to design buildings. So that's not the issue, I think. I think the big issue here is our, our environment. What can we do in terms of urban design and landscaping to make our environments more livable so that those of us who are living in, in, you know what I'm talking about, some squalid positions. Some of us are living in really, what can we do to make those living conditions so nice so that people are, are respectful of them and, and take care of them? Me, here in, in Baltimore, since I'm more or less retired, I don't do building design much, but my... I'm going to be involved with trying to get our police department worked on. And, and you know, I mean, I can, I can design buildings, but, but my main thing now is trying to make my community livable so that people are, are proud of where they're, they're living. Yes. Leon, I think that's a great point. I have a response with a Gigi. I want you to finish your point as well. Please. Oh, yeah. I, I, I could be done though. I <laughs> um, I, I mean, I think I think when you make a statement, I think to Leon's point to maybe connect the dots is that you are you are taking the first step in what advocacy means and what advocacy through design is. So it's not just about stating that you are in solidarity. It's now what does that what does it mean? Because to be in solidarity with uh, a movement or with a, with a belief requires action. And then what is that action? How that translates? I agree. I think we can all design really great places, but if we don't actually put the actions behind what creates a great neighborhood or creates a great place to live, which then is out, of, maybe it spans outside of what design is, which is being political and being in legislative rooms and things like that. But it's still informed by design. It's still informed by our work and our research. And so I guess those are kind of the things that I've been in, in conversation around as people ask what to do. I will also admit that it is an exhausting position to be in 
to be asked how to, how to respond um, to a humanitarian crisis as a fellow person. And it's how do how do I do a better job of treating people like people? And then you, hmm, <laughs> I don't, let's start there. Yeah. <laughs> I think part of the challenge too, and, and it kind of speaks to Leon's point, you know, most people on this call, be they recent grads or be they in the industry for a while, have a certain level of, of acuity and training to be able to design a building. But, you know, your scholastic training did not necessarily educate you, prepare you to be the vanguard of a people, right? And so, unfortunately, that's something that awaits what we have to bear. And, and arguably, I think we have to be more visible. One of the things that Kim has been doing for this year's kind of focus for uh, NOMA has been encouraging everybody to be more visible. You know, people need to see Black architects, Black planners, Black designers, Black landscape architects involved and present in as many settings as possible. You know, Mona and Damien and a few others mentioned that we have the rally today and we probably lost a few people that are attending that. And I think that's absolutely fine. Um, if they are participating in that and showing a presence there, I think that's incredibly important. Uh, several years ago, the national board made a decision that we're gonna keep having these conferences in these cities that have large populations of color then instead of focusing all of our efforts in some, you know, hotel downtown, we have to have a day of service. That's a requirement. You know, we can't have, you know, five, six, seven, eight hundred black and brown designers and, and students in a city and the city doesn't know. And that's right. what led to the Service Project Day, as well as other events that we annually have at our national conference. I think going a step further now, and this kind of goes to Leon's point, it, it's incredibly imperative that we are part of not only the grassroots efforts that we're seeing in our communities, but also ideally some of the critical structures that help make policy in our communities. Be that a t being on a, a, a planning commission, be it on a planning board, a zoning board, a school board, we have to be actively involved in those capacities. And we have more than enough intelligence and training to do so. Uh, and I think it's something that we've kind of made some nascent steps here or there, but you know, the time is long held for us to jump in with feet first and kind of go in there. One thing I can say, and I'll transition. Uh, when you talk about making an, an imp impact and, and the greater community knowing more of you, what Antoine is saying is really on point because <clears throat> I have become more known here as an architect because I was active in terms of city government and, and planning and no, those sorts of things. I made myself visible. And who the hell is that? Well, that's Leon Brick. Well, what is it? He's an architect. Hey, you know, so, so being visible will enhance us as architects also. That's all I'm saying. You brought up an interesting point because I was born and raised in DC and it was formerly known as Chocolate City. And all throughout my years of living there, it has always been dominated by black people, black mayors, black council members, the majority has always been black. And for whatever reason, it is now gentrified. It is now 50-50%. So what happened? Who fault is it? Is it theirs? Is it ours? 
you brought you brought up a very interesting point because you don't want to be a puppet. You 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 want to stand for something. You want to stand for your community. You want to stand for whomever you work for and be that leader. I think the common thread through a lot of the the comments that have been made thus far kind of relate back to you know some of the you know discussion we had before the call as far as you know what we hoped you know some of the conversation would be about and the last week has kind of turned things somewhat on its head but i think just getting back to the essence of this podcast and architecture is political what do we think about what is what does the word political mean how does it resonate to all of us and i think one thing we talked about is collective empowerment because there are certain things that that happen that obviously we're all privy to but how do we just like melissa said like how do you know how do we take responsibility for that how do we take control of that and we often look at ourselves, oh, I'm viewing this from my own personal perspective, but that needs to be seen as a multiple viewpoint perspective. You know, there are things that, I mean, this call right here, I mean, we're a national organization, right? And then we have a global reach as well. So certain things that happen, I think it's great, it was great to see the mission statement from NOMA to see if this is how we need to really effectuate change, right? And really start to say, okay, we're not just going to sit, you know, on the wayside and just let things happen to us. We're going to start to steer this ship. I think also bring it back to collective empowerment. How do we empower ourselves at our jobs every day? How do we empower ourselves in the personal things we do in our lives with, you know, things we do on the side or things we do individually? How do we do, how do we empower ourselves and, you know, linking up with different people, with different companies? And then when we get to a level of professional organization. So, you know, there, these are big issues that are going on. And these are big things that are happening. I mean, you know, there's, you know, the Freddie Gray uprisings happened five years ago here in Baltimore. And, you know, that was, that was really something. And to see the way things have gotten now, it's just mind boggling. So it's like nothing has changed, right? Well, it's like nothing has changed, but then so many, you know, these other elements that are coming into it. So now it's like, okay, now how do we, you know, how do we navigate this? So I think it all, it, it still always comes down to collective empowerment. You obviously have yourself as an individual, but you're always part of a collective. We're always united. We're always together. And we always have to think like that. You know, we can't just be out here flowing, doing things by ourselves. We're always part of a collective. So that's the, you know, the body politic, right? So hey, Nicholas, we move. If, yes, sir. If, if I could add, this is Damien Hines. Yes, uh, indeed. I don't think I introduced myself at the beginning, but- You need no introduction, Damien. Oh, please. <laughs> You know, I was thinking of about four things I was going to say, but I'll, I'll leave most of it to others because the literal architecture is political. There are two colleagues who are also on this call that we are doing a very political project. But I think I'll start with my fourth point I wanted to make. And if there's time, I'll talk about the others, not now. Like my visceral reaction to current events, let's call it, was. I spent Saturday and Sunday in my office with a colleague and we did 14 hour days, right? And literally my reaction was, can I work hard enough to create a few more jobs for a few of the people on this call? And it was that for me, that was how do I respond? Like what can I do to sort of push change, right, to, to, to create a, a paradigm shift. And for me, it was, you know, can I even be a more successful entrepreneurial architect? And can I offer a few more folks on this call employment opportunities? But I would just be curious to understand, like, 
relative to the topic at hand, architecture is political and current events. Did everyone, did anyone have like a reaction that made you even further question your profession or your role in the profession or your role as you're leaving the profession? I see Sandra Little up there, like, Sandra, like, did you have any reactions relative to the profession? I feel like you're picking on me. No, actually, it was, uh, it was really interesting. I went from what Damien was talking about, being a firm owner, African-American firm owner, to being in a majority firm. So it's, it's still like that being visual part, like how do you do that in different settings? How do you do that from being a minority firm owner to majority firm owner? How can I make a bigger impact? How can, how can I make others see that your, your coworkers who are now minorities are not okay and, and create bigger conversations? Because I feel like you said, like the same thing that Nicholas said and everything, you feel like you're in your own viewpoint and how can I make uh, things better in my day to day? Well, when you start to expand that ripple of what your viewpoint is, we need to make bigger impacts. We need to affect being visible, be, being able to affect a, a larger number of people that are not of color to make them understand what people of color in the profession are going through. Yeah. Uh, this week has been just a, just a broadening of, of my perspective coming from a smaller firm, now being in a 200 person firm and literally making ripples within our own, within our firm now. So it's, it's been interesting. It's been, I, I get what Damien's saying. Yeah, I've been there in the office, like, Hey, who can I pull in? Who can I, what can I do? How can I make more jobs? I got work to do. I got payroll to meet to now. So the, just the, just the, the amount of, impact has just greatly increased so i think nice. uh the more we do the more we're visible the more they say advocacy works and just keep keep being there let's put yeah. it up yeah well what i what i i think the the thing that i've been saying since trayvon martin is we we lose our audience when we turn this into a black white thing yes i think that if we were able to communicate with people on a level of you know i'm not i'm not going to argue with you that this man is dead because he's black now i know he's dead because he's black i recognize that but i'm not going to have that conversation with you because you are white and you i'm going to lose you as soon as i start talking about black and white what i want to talk to you about is there's a man that's dead and he had a mother and he had children, he had family and he's dead. And how does that make you feel? And how do you feel knowing that that could happen to you? And that the media may be just showing black men dying, but yeah, they could just come and shoot you in your house. That, that the woman that was shot to death, they could have accidentally came to your house and shot you dead in your bedroom. But I think until they recognize that this is a thing that isn't just us, they can just act like it's just us and go on with their lives. And this whole thing happened because justice was not done. There wouldn't be any riots if you arrested those people. Exactly. There wouldn't be any repercussions. People do wrong, period. There are people who have their biases. They hate you for your color. That's just how it is. But it's the justice system. It's the system that this country has that's what we're fighting for. And I think like on a, on a micro level, again, with architecture firms that we all work or 
with with the white institutions that a they don't recognize us being black and b they have their own unconscious biases against us yeah. and then c that they can get rid of they can get away with stuff that we can't get rid of. like i would love to travel across country but i'm scared to death i'm i'm driving across america if i want to see all 50 states no you should not do that <laughs> you know it's funny it's funny that you guys mentioned that i think it's it's something that what this you know you guys have heard all the quotes about how none of the things that have happened are new they're just being shown right mm -hmm. the scariest thing that happens is that you know what happens if no one or <laughs> all the average right he just was a black man that was breaking into homes that would be the narrative right if no one filmed if a 17 year old girl god forbid didn't film george floyd he just would have been another big black man resisting arrest in minneapolis and that would have been a narrative and it have been open and shut and and that's the kind of conversations i've had with some of my colleagues and friends about these are things that we've been sharing with you since i was a kid in the 70s but have been swept under the rug because you know there was no video evidence of it right so you know it, it's casting a harsh light on realities that most people on this uh, call have been aware of but then now now that there is a conversation albeit fleeting you know how can we leverage this point moving forward what can we do to to better this right i know some of us uh, have been able to have conversations with your your white co-worker your white church member your white family member whatever the case may be to have them understand what is going on in this country which i think is a move in the right direction i think going to some earlier points it's incumbent that we use the energy and focus of these protests to be able to now make quantifiable and qualifiable demands upon our society right you know why is it that police departments have body cameras that aren't on the whole time like how that work you know what i'm saying like you know you got a body camera but don't it ain't got to be on all the time like well, i mean what what you doing like why do you got the camera in the first place right many municipalities have been fighting for citizen oversight committees you know there's a reason why those are necessary and there's a reason why police are fighting back against it but you know there's a reason why we need to have them and then purely from a policy standpoint and from an architectural planning standpoint we need to inwardly look at the th kind of things that we can impact to address the built environment and make it more equitable for people that look like everybody on this call. That's everything from SEPTED, you know, policies, to urban design, to how buildings are built, to where buildings are built, to be able to make that a much more welcoming environment for people here. And I think those things that, you know, people on this call could affect directly and early, as opposed, in, in addition to the conversations we have in our office, we have at our church, we have it uh, with our friends and alumni if we attended PWIs. I think all of that can happen and we all can play various parts in that dialogue. Hey, but there's something that Gigi said earlier that the architects don't want to be vocal because we're architects. I, I don't like the idea of us fading into the background thinking that architecture is going to save the world because it won't. I think the, the, the power and the thing that makes architecture political, and, and in fact, I think everything is political, is that 
as architects, when I walk in a room and I say I'm an architect, I get a different level of respect. And because I'm now an architect in the room and, oh, she must be smart, now they might listen to what I'm going to say. And what I'm going to say is not going to be architecture is going to save the world. What I'm going to say is the police need to stop killing people in the streets. And I think if we recognize that we have that platform and use it in the right way and have those conversations, those hard conversations, and every professional starts getting out there, making themselves more visible and making people understand that we as a people are not scary. We are architects. We are engineers. We are teachers. We are doctors. But because we try, we, we kind of fade to the back and just stick to our profession and let our profession save the world, we lose our voice. We've got to start using our voice. But if we don't use our voice, we're just going to be sitting back hoping that urban design is going to save the world. Right. And I think, I think one thing that um, you did touch upon that I want to talk about a little bit is the community aspect. And I know like AIA is huge on like pro bono work and community work and, you know, affordable housing. And my beef with that is, is the people who are going into these communities, these communities that look like us, aren't us. And I, I never understood that. Like, I remember I did the search, look for companies that, that do this stuff and see if they would hire me and i get crickets and then i go on the website and nobody looks like me oh you got the pedigrees the yales and the harvards and i go in and save the day and i'm thinking about the image that not not just only the kids but the community themselves that here are these white architects coming in and saving us I'm, i was trying to think, how can I, I going to use me as an example, how can I infiltrate this or start my own thing? There's no playbook for this. I don't know, maybe this, this group can help me out. If, if I want to start an architecture firm that does community work, how the hell do I do this? How, how do I start? Is it through grants? Is it that? So this is the type of stuff. And even the kids that are coming out of school now, this is what they want to do. This is, they want to save the world. That's, that's why I got into architecture, because I felt that the, the poor black and brown folks who are living in substandard conditions, that it's the architect. It's, it's let's build the buildings so that these people could be housed in and come to find out that no, that's, that doesn't work. So now I'm an adult, I can actually do something. I don't know what to do. Well, let's see if you can do it. There definitely is a capacity difference, right? If big firm can have random random white guy come down and do something, you know, pro bono, that's one thing. I know a lot of our black firms, and not all, but a number of our black firms are smaller, and everybody on that firm is working 60 hours a week. And, you know, few of them are bawling out of control from by any stretch of the imagination. But I would say that I think moving forward, there is definitely an opportunity for uh, architects of color to provide some work. I won't speak for every firm here. I think that's a good point because there's a lot of NOMA members who would be willing to assist each other if only, only they're asked. But 
Melissa, you made a, a statement about being afraid of going across the country. I, I think you were just speaking uh, as an example. You, you, you didn't really mean that. And the reason I say that is because I have never been afraid of any instance that I've, I've been confronted with. Now, there are times when I, I use my wisdom and my wits so that I'm not beaten down. But I think the biggest part of, of me, myself, is that I've never been, been shy speaking my piece. Most, most, some of you know me at the, the meetings that I will stand up and, and speak my piece and I'm comfortable in whatever, whatever uh, environment I'm in. Never put yourself down because you are in charge and, and you can make it. You can make it. I think, I think I've got to tell you, there are some streets in the country that I would encourage you not to drive down in the middle of the night by yourself. Yeah, but that's, that's, that's using my wisdom and my wits. <laughs> you're right. You're right. Don't go over there. You're right. You're right. So, Melissa, you can go out of the, out of the I state. mean, I, when I said that, I mean, yes. You can do any, you can, if you want to be an astronaut, you can study, you can go to the moon. Like, I, I believe that with you, would you put your mind to it, anything is possible. But it's just the idea of just, the, the freedom of just not planning and not preparing, just going out and do it. That's, it's two different things. It's two different things. It's just, if I was a white woman, I could hop in the car, not planning, I think anything, I don't even have any money. And I could just hop in the car and, and just, you know, ask and go and question and, you know, I could just do that. But as a black woman, I, I, I just don't. Melissa, can I make a point? Um, and it's actually something that came up in our, you know, the, the secret part two of our Archidance podcast. But something I was saying to Richard, I think it relates back to what Damien was speaking of earlier. And also bringing about the point of collective empowerment again. Again, we have to stop thinking of ourselves as I'm out here by myself doing this on my own. <laughs> you know, it's not. You're never by yourself. You're only as alone as you want to be. So even though you may start your own firm, we really need to start thinking about linking up with other people, how we can share resources, how we can become more regional and attack these problems from a multiple viewpoint perspective. You don't have to take on the world yourself. You don't. You have way too many people. You have way too many uh, alliances to act like this is you're taking this on yourself. So the point I made on the podcast, there's there've been opportunities throughout our history of black architecture in different cities where we've tried to link up and we haven't been successful. So researching those and say, okay, why haven't we been? How how might we have been successful? What are the opportunities that allow us to maybe possibly be more successful nowadays? So I might have these strengths, but I might not be as strong in this area. Let me link up with them over here because I know they want to do this. And it might be an opportunity where we can link up. So I think looking at it from that perspective, that's that we really have to be collectively empowered. The other point I want to make real quick, how do, do we really view ourselves as empowered? We might be in positions of power, or we might be entrenched in a firm, we might have job security, whatever, but we have to remember that we are people and that we have to get across what we feel. And no matter what project we have or what we're working on or what's coming down the pipeline or how long we've been somewhere, I'm still Nicholas Hill. And just like Coach Herm <laughs> says, you know, the name on the back of my jersey don't belong to me. I got to treat it right. 
and my daddy would be he'd hop up out of the backyard and come out <laughs> to Baltimore and say something about me if I didn't say how I felt. And I think we all have to take that perspective. There's been way too many people that have walked way too far for us to swallow our words or not, you know, if there's an opportunity to say it, say it. We don't want to just say something, get, you know, we don't want to be on the next episode where keeping it real goes wrong, right? <laughs> but, but we also don't want to hold people accountable for things that they have no responsibility towards. But if there's an opportunity to kind of, you know, turn the dial a little bit, show people, and I think specifically on this, that's why I threw my hands up, because she's, she's preaching the gospel. This situation came about because of police brutality. Police continue to kill unarmed black men, and it needs to stop. How many statements have people put out that reference police and or police brutality? You can count them. I looked at it yesterday. You know who the one person was? They put out their Tiger Woods. <laughs> and who would have thought that? But all these that? organizations, all these companies, all these people, everyone's talking about coming together. We need to support the black community, all this. Yeah, it's a lot of issues. There's a lot of latent issues. There's a lot of direct issues. But the main thing, let's keep the main thing the main thing, police brutality. And the more that we can push our the people that we have alliances with, whether our friends, our colleagues, whatever, if you're going to put a statement out there, make sure you're ready to say that, that you need to say that, yeah, the police did this and they need to stop because they keep doing it. Whether we can stop the police or change the system, hey, that's that's a problem for another happy hour. <laughs> you know, I got a couple with another cocktail for that. But but people need to speak the problem into existence. And the problem is police brutality. And we cannot let people be too afraid to say what it is. Right. So I'd like to jump on to what Melissa said about, you know, I guess white architects going into neighborhoods and not representing the community that they, they're going to. You know, Melissa, I think, you know, you've been practicing architecture um, for a while, you know, and, you know, so have I, I'm from DC, by the way. And, you know, I've kind of watched the same thing that you've seen over the past, what, uh, I mean, since I got to DC, but 10 years ago, it's slowly developed and it's rebounded and people are complaining there's not enough affordable housing. And I, I was working at a number of, you know, large firms, you know, doing stuff like healthcare and higher ed and good work and but I just felt like it wasn't the type of work that was I felt that was needed I heard people asking for affordable housing and stuff and I just decided I can you know try to address that issue myself and I challenge you, you I mean if you don't see the type of people that you want in your community the type of architects that you want to see Maybe you need to start your own firm. I think you need to take on the responsibility. And it's hard. I did that myself last year and took a big risk. And I'm still afloat pulling in a couple of jobs. I'm not where I want to be, partly because of you know, coronavirus and I have to be like homeschooling and all that stuff right now. So you know, I don't have the full capacity to go after the affordable housing projects that I want to. But I've been making you know connections with affordable housing developers and trying to learn more about how they get funding. Last week I discovered that there, there are these grants available that they use to fund all the pre-design costs, I'm guessing architects and stuff like that. So the more research that you do, you kind of understand the system. And I, I think it's not far-fetched that you can, you can be that person to make that change. 
And if you do decide to do that, I'd encourage you to partner up with people because I'm doing it as a sole proprietor. It's tough. And I see other people that husband and wife teams and other people that have done it as groups and they're to share the burden is it's a lot easier and you can make a lot more headway. So don't put it past you that you can be that one to make that change. So um, Richard, if I can add to that, I think I'm just going to speak on it from a personal view. I'm currently a permanent resident. I'm about to become a citizen within a year. And the way I'm looking at this or the way I'm approaching this, and then maybe to whose way you can help me or another, I can see on the call, but basically educating myself about the issues that are in, in the U.S., basically the issues that were part of the U.S. History, uh, history the urban development in the U.S., because like thinking about it, like, yes, I live in Houston right now. I'm not going anywhere. I am about to become a citizen. So once you choose to, to immigrate here, I feel like you kind of have to choose to be part of the community. You have to decide to just, it's almost, I, I look at it as a choice. I can, I can sit back and just ignore what's happening and just be in my own bubble, or I can just choose to be active. I recognize where I'm coming from and the background of the neighborhood. I'm trying to learn that. So I, and I, I think I talked to Melissa about it the other day is how can I be part of this conversation or how can I make an impact without while being respectful and not just come up as like just a, another gentrification project or just another designer who's just going to show up here and be like, yes, I identify as a black person, but I, have no idea or like I can't really fully relate to the struggle that was part of this country's history. That makes sense. I don't know. I'm just trying to educate myself as much as possible these days. Where are you from, Mona? I am from Sudan, but I was born and raised in Saudi Arabia. So even when it comes to Sudan itself, I can't really fully relate to, I mean, like, yes, I identify as a Sudanese person. I am a Sudanese person, but again, like still I'm a third culture kid, I would say. So I have been here. I've been here for I think about four years now, four years and a half. I try I try to add to the conversation, but still like just take the backseat and just understand where people are coming from and just be sensitive and respectful to all what's going on, I guess. Mona, if I could real quick, one thing about placing yourself, again, it gets to so I keep saying multiple viewpoint perspective. It comes from um, the gentleman Nicholas Mirzweff that came up with that term. I studied them when I was working on my thesis. But the, the, another part of my, well, the, the main bent of my thesis was how to study culture. Mm -hmm. And it goes through different scales from the individual and then it starts getting larger and larger until you pan all the way out to the level of diaspora, right? So we're all connected again, right? We're just at a different point in the diaspora. So I did some, some work in London. I spoke to, you know, Noma has had a relationship with SOBA, the Society of Black Architects for years now. And I spoke to some gentlemen over there, and they they have a different perspective, but they're just on the other side of the diaspora. We get the, the triangle trade, they're on another leg of the triangle, yeah. right? But we're all connected in that, and we all have strengths to add to the conversation. And I think one thing, we can't act like we're so similar in any way, you know, whether you're Asian, whether you're Caucasian, or whatever your background is, you know, you know, obviously that's changed throughout time, and we're layers upon layers of people, right? But what makes us stronger is what makes us, what makes us different is what makes us stronger. Mm -hmm. Seeing what that difference is and how that relate, how we relate to each other through difference, that's what makes us stronger. 
you know, assimilation, trying to be the same, well, okay, you're not going to learn anything about yourself if you just try to be the same. So right. seeing who you are as an individual, that's their strength in that. You have a different perspective of the diaspora that we don't have. You come from place. We come from, we come from the Ma'afa, you know, right? That's our struggle. You know, we don't know why we're here, but we're here for a reason. Right. So I think you need to, don't ever think of yourself as lesser than or because you're not. <laughs> you're definitely not. So I, I just wanted to put that out there. I think this is this is incredibly powerful. It is now 7.04. Typically, we're supposed to do an hour and a half. It's 8.04, Pamela. Well, come know, up an hour. East Coast cats don't count. That's your bad. <laughs> and, uh, I, first of all, I want to thank everybody here. Now, I can go on. You know what I'm saying? There's a few people here that probably can stay on a little bit longer, but we do want to be sensitive to the time because typically we are an hour and a half. Now, that being said, I, I don't want to encroach upon the, the rubric of the Architecture is Political podcast time that typically is. I know they probably go to 15, you know, hours long. But Only when Nick's on. Only when Nick's on. <laughs> well, oh, come on, come on. <laughs> I can't talk about nothing. We do want to be sensitive. So I know a few people have had to, to jump off. Before we go further, I just wanted to kind of put that out there. Kind of the no mas members from U of H and from Prairie View. And so I'm very glad that they were able to participate. We can keep on going. I just wanted to let everybody know what time it is so ain't nobody cussing and fussing. Big shouts to Mona. This was her baby and her brainchild. And uh, big shouts to Melissa and Nick. So I just wanted to acknowledge everybody as we continue. And Antoine, if I could slip something in. We, Noma uh, needs your support. And if you could spare a few coins, you know, consider not only joining our social community, but consider joining NOMA and you'll be supporting national uh, nationals initiatives and you'll be su supporting H NOMA so so please join even you out-of-towners I mean you have cash so or firm owners you want some uh, to burn some expenses so please sign up and since we're in the, since we're doing our commercials thank you Damien I, I really I'm glad you mentioned that but while we're continuing in that as many of you may have heard our national conference which is often the highlight of the year has gone virtual. We made a difficult decision about that. That was about several months in, 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 the, in the planning stages, but we did decide to be responsible and go digital and go virtual in October. It will be the exact same weekend it was planned. So you'll begin to see a lot of footage for that, but we wanted to be sensitive to all of our membership, given the complexities uh, with COVID, with travel, as well as people's employment uh, statuses but it's going to be action-packed. We've got a lot of surprises for you. Uh, we wanna keep everybody's energy and excitement for that, which will be the third weekend in October. And then we're gonna be even ratcheting up to anniversary one, the 50th anniversary of NOMA in 2021. But definitely we're looking forward to our virtual conference in the third week of October of this year. And uh, again, I thank all of, um, like, Gigi, she's gone, and Sandra and Karen. I invited them uh, specifically, as well as Kyra, for joining. This has been awesome. It's been great. It's good to see everybody I haven't seen in a long time and the new people, too. Um, so Melissa, we, we greatly appreciate having you. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Peace, good people. Love y'all. Okay, oh. bye.